What's up, everyone? Welcome to the NG Ingwen Show. My name is John Drummond or Yang Haoen. Hi, 大家好，欢迎回到 NG 英文。我是 Stephanie。今天的来宾 Chris Labfront 的 CEO， 主要是在做会影响全球医疗保健生态的服务。他是一位创业家，并且热爱旅游。接下来就让我们来欢迎 Chris。Today I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Chris. Chris is the co-founder and CEO of Labfront. Doing some pretty cool things around the healthcare ecosystem globally. Chris is a world traveler, a lifelong learner, a serial entrepreneur, and so much more. So, everyone, please welcome Chris. Thank you. What's up, dude? Chris, I must say we started, and I just felt like my brother from another mother because you've been, you've lived in Thailand, you've traveled all over the world, you care so much about having impact and. Diving deep, and I appreciate that, man. So I'm happy to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you too, Don. Yeah. So we got to connect through someone who's been on the show, Miss Vivian, if you guys all remember. And she was like, "Yo, listen, like Chris, he started an ambulance service in Ethiopia. <laughs> He's doing so much cool stuff in healthcare, kind of from a, a a tech entrepreneurial perspective. And so I'm really, really looking forward to sharing more about you. So do you mind giving a little self introduction, Chris? Yeah, sure.、Uh, so my name is Chris. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Labfront. And、uh, before that,、uh, I spent a bunch of time in、uh, a couple of different places: Thailand,、uh, Ethiopia, Hawaii.、Um, oh and... yeah, Hawaii! I forgot. Hawaii.、Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I got to go to the surfing, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but、um, mostly just always trying to find things that I can do that have scalable impact, and just figuring it out and and、uh, taking it one step at a time. I love it, man. Yeah, so I think the theme of today, guys, is going to be scalable impact. So maybe we should kind of unpack that. What does kind of scalable impact mean to you, Chris? So for me, it's it's working on things that I think will make the world a better place, and not only just for myself, and not only at at an individual level, which I did,、uh, and I tried that out when I was volunteering in in Thailand, but really like something that we build that can help you know maybe hundreds or thousands or even millions of people either indirect directly or indirectly. Yeah, man, it's so cool, guys. Yeah, having that scale, right? It goes up, can touch more people, affect more people in a positive way. Before we get to Labfront, can you share a little bit about the project you did with? Was it your f- friend essentially in Ethiopia you met? Please share that. Yeah, so Jordan, who's now a co-founder of mine,、uh, we are we are also track and field teammates、uh, in college、That's、at McGill,、it. and、uh, so his roommate from college,、uh, Richard Kippelson,、uh, they had grown. He's Norwegian, but they'd grown up in Ethiopia. So、uh, Richard, when he had graduated from university, his dad, who is a a surgeon, a very world famous surgeon,、uh, who had been in Ethiopia working nonprofits. Decided they were going to start a hospital in Ethiopia, and when they were starting the hospital, they needed someone trustworthy, and they didn't have anyone else that they knew other than Richard's. Like, well, Jordan just just graduated; he has no job right now. Why don't we see if someone's willing to come to Ethiopia? And、uh, I remember Jordan telling me like he found out about it like that Monday, and he packed his stuff and got rid of his apartment and everything. Is on a flight by Friday, and it was like then spending a year in Ethiopia working on that project. So that's kind of how that part started. So the hospital side is、uh, is a Nonprofit hospital that works to try to im- improve the entire emergency care in the country. So,、um, in Ethiopia,、uh, for the most part, most of the emergency surgery and a lot of the、uh, more technical work is done either in Kenya or Dubai. 
And uh, what happens is that if that's the case for something like a car crash or something that's emergency, uh, it's really hard to you know hold off emergency and wait till you get shipped to Kenya or Dubai. And so what happens is the the uh, mortality rate was really really high. So by building a world class institution for emergency care, their goal was to significantly reduce the mortality rates from these kinds of uh, very treatable if you have the right time and the right resources type of uh, uh, conditions. And so when they built the hospital and they were in the process of building a hospital, uh, Jordan found out because he's new to Ethiopia that there was no ambulance system in the country. So it's hard to imagine living in Taiwan or living in the U.S. growing up that there is no 911 or 119. Uh, there's nobody you call if there's something, there's a problem. There's That just doesn't exist. The government hasn't created a system. And not only that, uh, there's actually no maps or streets names. So if you actually go on Google Maps wow. and check out, you know, this capital city of Addis, which is over 10 million people reside, uh, you get, you'll see that most, almost 90, 95% of the streets don't actually have names on them. So if you don't have a name on the street, how do you find someone and you don't have a name in the system? They're not going to be able to find you anyways. So it's just doubly, you know, double whammy. Wow. And so enter you and, and you and Jordan and kind of created a system that, could it map how, how it, I mean, with no street names, how did you end up doing that? Yeah, so what we realized is that you can't just import a system from the U.S. because they rely on infrastructure that you can't rely on in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. for example, like like street names, like maps, like things that you would expect to have in in, in, a, in, a, in a system that they're, you know, the constraint system that, that those things were devi- designed under. So we had to reevaluate the entire situation and look at it from, uh, you know, how do we, what, what are we actually trying to do? What we're trying to do is get, uh, care from point A to the wherever the care needs to be. That's what an ambulance system does. It doesn't actually, if you think about it, ambulance systems don't actually need to deliver people to the hospital. They just need to deliver care to the person. That's the point of the emergency service. And so using two principles, uh, using that as the foundation, and then also um, there was a app at that point. Uh, it was a small little company just coming up. It's called Uber. You probably would have heard of it. So back then it was uh, just starting to take off. And uh, we we're like, hey, they do stuff with GPS and, you know, you can do tri- uh, geolocation using either GPS or cell towers and potentially uh, we could build a system that doesn't rely on maps, doesn't rely on addresses, but it still can get a GPS location. And so that's kind of that started. Oh, man, that's so cool. What an incredible real world problem you guys solved right there. Chris is through the previous guest, Vivian. Chris has created a self-help service. He h 那他一直都在找一些可扩展影响力 （scalable impact） 的事情做，并且一步一步的建立。其实他对于可扩展影响力的解读，就是做一些让世界变得更好的事情。那来宾会接触伊索比亚救护车服务，是因为他现在的合伙人 Jordan 是大学田径队 （track and field） 的队友 （teammate）。那他的室友 （roommate） Richard 就是一位挪威人，但他是在伊索比亚成长的。那 Richard 的父亲刚好就是一个知名的外科医生 （surgeon）。那一直来都在帮一些非营利组织。他当时想要在伊索比亚盖一间医院，只是当时他们找不到可以信任的人去执行。而刚好 Jordan 刚毕业，还没找到工作，所以就决定去了。那后来花了一年的时间在弄这个专案。那这间医院是一个非营利医院，目的就是为了提升国家的急诊服务。因为其实当时比较紧急或是需要技术的手术，都是要到肯亚跟杜拜去进行的。所以假设今天是车祸或是非常紧急的事情发生时，就是等到他们抵达肯亚或是杜拜才能进行手术，也因此他们的死亡率 （mortality rate） 提升很多。这就是为什么他们想要盖一间医院，让死亡率大幅下降
因为其实很多时候，只要是在对的时间，并且用对的资源，就能够痊愈。那当时 Jordan 也发现，他们国内其实没有救护系统，而且他们也没有路，也没有地图，再加上他们也没有系统可以记录人的资料，所以根本找不到人。这根本就是双重打击 （double whammy）。因为他当时也不能直接将美国那一套系统带过去，因为他们根本没有可以依赖的基础建设 （infrastructure）， 比如说有系统路名。所以他们得重新审视 （reevaluate） 整个情况，他们就开始思考，救护车的目的其实就是把病患的需要的照顾带过去，不一定要带到医院，因为只要能够解决病患的问题就好了。他们就是用这个概念当基础。那当时 Uber 的 App 才刚开始，他们就有用到 GPS， 所以他们想到或许可以用 GPS 跟手机信号塔 （cell towers） 当做地理定位 （geolocation）， 这样就不用依赖地图跟地址了。And so then, fast forward now to Labfront. What are you guys doing with Labfront? Yeah, so that experience.、Uh, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. That experience for us was the first time that we built a real, like something real that could really affect, a, you know, more than a few people, and and it's a continuously sustainable system.、Um, actually, it, it,、uh, until this year, from 2015 until、uh, just recently this year,、um, it has been in operation. Recently,、uh, we've decided that、uh, due to there's the civil war in Ethiopia, and it's just a little bit too dangerous right now for our our. Our staff that so that, that that system is is being shut down. But overall, it you know we've been it was operating, fully self sustaining, pays for itself,、mm. um, and, and and covered. It was the only ambulance system that covered over ten thousand people in Ethiopia.、Mm. So that system for us sounded like a success, and it was super fun to do.、Mm. So. Let's that as a as a first time, and that was really an entrepreneurial. That was more just we're just building a project for fun、mm-hmm. and a nonprofit organization. Everything just just as a side project. So when Jordan and I finished that, we were thinking about what's the next thing. Do we want to build something ourselves? So、uh, like, or, or could we build something now? Now that we had built something before, maybe we can actually do something else. So that kind of led us in the journey of deciding. Okay, maybe we should try a startup. Um, but at that point, that was in 2016, and、uh, you know we didn't have any money. We didn't really know how the startup ecosystem works, so it's all everything was new. So we started just by building out like a little small consultancy, getting paid first, so that we can build up a team, you know. And、uh, over the like three, four years, we eventually built up a team, and then decided like, okay, now we're ready. We can start to build a startup. And so now we're working on Labfront. So Labfront is a startup. Focuses on、uh, health research, basically.、Um, what we realized is,、yeah, especially with COVID nineteen, how important scientific research is. However, scientific research is extremely underfunded. There are very few products in sci- like built for scientific research, and if you think about like all the new workplace tools that we have, like Loom, Zoom, Slack, and those those aren't even new, but there's there's literally thousands of them popping up.、Mm-hmm. All those to、uh, optimize efficiency in in the workplace.、Mm-hmm. There's none of those in scientific research, and scientific research is such an important, you know, such an important field. How come there's like there aren't any tools? Well, it's kind of due to the market. It's kind of due to like how investors invest and how startups look at the market.、Um, but we thought, well, even though th- there's no one else looking at this, we know how important it is, and we should build something to help make that better. So basically, Labfront took the mission to let's make science easier. Let's use technology to make it cheaper.、Mm-hmm. Let's just completely reshape the way that science can be done. Democratize research, and、uh, set that as our goal, and figure out how we do that. So that's kind of how we started Labfront.、Mm. I love the way your brain works, man. 
we were talking a little bit off air about the concept of kind of this scientific research and lab front being that a lot of times you were mentioning if if you're in a scientific study, a, a health study, you would have to maybe go to the hospital or go to these clinics. And it's it's a pain, right? You're asking patients to come in, fill out forms, you know, journal, do all these things. It can become very unreliable and very kind of taxing and people are like, oh, I'm over it. But you're saying now with the tech that is focusing on wearables, so maybe, you know, my audience knows Apple Watches, right? There's Fitbit, there's Whoop, there's all sorts of things. Now, this can help pair with LabFront to make it easier to do scientific research from home. Is that the idea there? Exactly, exactly. Originally, everyone has to come into the hospital or into the lab to do research. Um, but a lot what happens is, you know, most projects don't just happen that day. They occur over weeks or months or even years. And what happens between each hospital is that basically there's almost no data. And uh, if there is data, it's usually like written down or it's in a journal. And then there's so many things that can happen. People forget. And that's actually part of the massive cost. So what we decided and figured out, like, you know, in this direction of we're remote is we could bring the lab to the participants to their house by using wearable devices and wearable devices can capture not only you know uh, better data but also higher resolution and continuous like you can have it 24 7 data over you know months uh, that would be literally impossible you can't keep someone in the hospital for 24 7 for months like that's mm. not that doesn't work so you know it completely changes the way that the research can be done accuracy of data and as well like the the effectiveness of the project and make it a lot cheaper Seems like you're solving a lot of problems with that right there. Yeah, that remote data capture, guys. I think that, I mean, that's just, man, that's making my brain go right now because you're, like you said, if, I mean, if you sleep with it, for example, you could have 24 hour health data and be able to potentially predict cancer or, oh man, all these early stage things that people will just like, I don't want to go to the doctor, you know? That's exactly what we're trying to build. So the whole point about LabFront and the reason behind what we're trying to do as a company is that healthcare is a problem. Health, we don't really have a healthcare system. I think we have a sick care system. It's like there's so many things wrong. Yeah, and uh, so we're trying to change that and focus on prevention, focuses on all the things that happen before you get sick, uh, diagnosing this, or, you know, maybe it's not disease, maybe it's pre-diabetes or pre-pre-diabetes, right? It's, we already, you're on the wrong direction, we can change that and we can uh, we can figure that out using wearable devices because they're much more sensitive and you can get exactly what you're saying. Every single night's data is an, is a, it can be a sleep study and, you know, rather than doing one sleep study in your entire lifetime, you can do 365 in one year just by wearing a device so oh, man it's so cool too because i think about a sleep study i love sleep and sleep science and you know a lot of times you have to go into the clinic sleep in potentially like an mri or an ekg system you know you're you're on edge right but if you just have a little ring like and you're sleeping normally in your home man that oh i'm just, i'm so thrilled well chris i'm i'm so grateful that you are doing what you're doing and i'm i'm really wishing you continued success 当时那个救护车服务是他们第一次做到能够帮助多人的系统。从2005年到今年，其实一直都有在营运，只是因为伊索比亚的内战 （Civil War）， 所以为了员工们的安全，他们就关闭了这一间公司。在他们眼里，其实是非常成功的一个案例，而且非常好玩。但当时因为他把这个当做是一个玩乐的项目，所以结束之后，其实来宾跟他的合伙人就在思考，是不是要创造一个属于他们的东西。所以他们就先建立了一个顾问公司 （consultant company）， 然后赚到钱之后开始建立团队。
那现在新创公司 Labfront 主要是在研究健康，尤其新冠之后，他们发现科学研究有多重要。只是科学研究有严重的资金不足 （underfunded） 的问题。Labfront 开始的原因就是希望可以让科学变得更简单，用科技让科学变得更便宜，以及改变整个科学圈研究的方式。那在录音前，其实来宾有跟 John 提到。科学研究其实很多时候是需要病患到实验室或是医院，那他们要填写资料，还要做一些检测，但这就很麻烦，所以他们想要透过穿戴装置 （wearables）， 像是大家熟悉的 Apple Watch， 然后跟 Labfront 结合做研究。那因为其实做科学研究通常不是当天就会有结果的，有可能需要几周、几个月甚至几年的时间。那其实他们最大的成本就是他们没有去实验室或是医院的那段时间。因为中间的变数太大了，有可能是用手写记录下来的，但也会遗漏很多东西。所以他们想要透过穿戴装置收集更完整的资料，这样不只能够改变研究的模式，资料也会更加准确 （accurate）， 而且能够省钱。那 remote data capture 远端资料截取可以二十四小时收集资料。我们继续来听接下来的专访吧。Well, do you think we could switch gears a little bit to talk about kind of your story with Taiwan? Sure. What's up? How'd you get here? Yeah, so my、uh, family is、uh, Taiwanese. My parents、uh, born and raised in Taiwan,、uh, but I personally、uh, they moved to Boston when、uh, before I was born, and I was born and raised in the U.S. But every summer,、uh, I think the story is a lot of、uh, ABCs. We we、uh, came to Taiwan every summer except for SARS,、um, and spent、uh, basically a month, two months with、um, the grandparents. And、uh, I got to know a little bit about Taiwan, and you know, fall in love with the food. Of course, that's the first thing, right?、Uh, didn't love how hot it was, especially during the summer. So that was definitely like one of the things. But、um, yeah, overall, like you know, had that good impression. And、uh, my experience basically was I, I、um, went from when I was、uh, volunteering in Thailand. Uh, my first job outside, my first real job,、uh, was at、uh, HTC, which、uh, you know at that time was one of the top smartphone makers and personally one of my favorite companies. At that point, I was a huge fan of their products, and as、uh, someone that studied electrical engineering, I would wanted to see like how are products made because I def- technically have an engineering you know background, but I don't know how to actually build things. So、mm. I joined the team at HTC、um, in studio engineering,、um, you know, formerly Magic Labs, and we were able to you know. See how that happened, and you know how 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 the magic is created, kind of thing,、mm-hmm. and、uh, and from that experience, you know, that happened to be the same time period that Jordan reached out for for the Ethiopia project, and you know, sort of started my journey in Taiwan. So cool, man! And we got to connect. That I shot a commercial for the HTC U11 phone. I think might have been right after your time there, or right before, right after, right, right after, after, right, yeah, right after you left. But、uh, small little world there, very, very cool. And so, how has language played a part in your life now? You know, you've been in the U.S. for a long time. You're in Taiwan, working with a tech company. Has Mandarin and English now kind of interwoven nicely in your life, or where would you say you're at with all that? So language is something really important to me.、Um, you know, I grew up speaking like you know Chinglish with my family, right? Mostly English, but with Chinese mixed in, and they would speak mostly Chinese with English mixed in.、Um, and、uh, you know, something that is part of my heritage, my culture.、Um, 
but also, you know, when I went to college, I went to, I, I lived in, in uh, Quebec, lived in Montreal. So, you know, it's French speaking. Back then, I, I didn't have any, uh, I would say, like, uh, any, any real understanding of how to learn languages. And I kind of learned it like the traditional way, trying to rote memorization. Um, when I later moved to Thailand and started picking up Thai and then learning it, I, it was the first time for me to actually learn a, a foreign language, but actually just learn it fully myself. Like, I didn't really take courses or anything, but I just learned it from a very practical standpoint. And that started the, my, you know, my own theory and my own ideas around how to learn languages. And, uh, you know, that from there, like, you know, new things, new languages, it's new cultures. I feel like you have to understand some of the language you need to like, that's the nuance in the language is really also in the culture. And it's also how people see things. So for me, um, you know, I, my team speaks, you know, we work in English for most meetings, but, uh, you know, I'll, I speak a lot of Mandarin with, you know, a lot of my team members are Mandarin is definitely their first language. So, you know, we have a lot of Mandarin as well. Um, the problem for me has been that since I do a lot of talking and then our team, like not everyone, no. you, <laughs> not everyone speaks up as much. So I haven't gotten to improve my vocabulary as much as I'm very, <laughs> I'm very confident with the very childish vocabulary that I use, but I'm, you know, I'm very good at speaking it, but it still sounds like, uh, you know, a fifth grader is telling you what you need to do. Um, but, you know, it, it, I think the listening part is all right. So I love that, man. It's it, what a <laughs> picturing you as the boss, but like given the, the, the fifth grade order <laughs> is, is, is dope, but it's cool, man. It's, it's really a, a language exchange, you know, a real, a cultural exchange at, at your company. And I just love hearing my friends that are, are building like that. And are you guys thinking about hiring ever? Yeah, so we're actually going to be looking to expand the the Taiwan team here and and uh, enter the Taiwan market because most of what we do right now is all in Europe and and uh, in the U.S. That's the majority of our market, but we also want to support here uh, locally. Um, but the part about language change is pretty funny because we have a couple of our uh, researchers. They actually spent time in at Harvard in uh, in my dad's lab. Um, uh, but because they had so many other, uh, you know, Taiwanese or Chinese, um, you know, coworkers, they spoke, mo like, they spoke less English, but at coming to our office, they actually worked on their English the most. So it's pretty funny. That's so cool, man. And yet, so full circle right there. So yeah, so they were your, your dad's students, essentially. And then now you guys are all working together. Exactly. I love that, man. Such, such a cool little full circle right there. Any uh, tips or advice for your own language as as you develop that thesis you were saying about for for your because now dude you came in here and you were trying speaking Thai to me and my brain was like it's been a while right dude I was like I forgot even how to say Nitnoi yeah <laughs> I was like oh my gosh uh, but yeah you speak in Taiwanese potentially right Mandarin English maybe some French Thai what what have you learned along the way there for any tips and advice you could share with our audience. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't speak Taiwanese, but okay. Okay, it's all right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, I want to learn a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, so for me, um, it was practical learning. So just mm. speak the things like just the things that you need to, you know, you need to learn. Ignore most of the things that you want to memorize, like what people usually teach you, which are like sports and, you know, different fruits and, you know, like animals. Like sometimes you'll use it, but it's like the less likely that you'll use it. Uh, on the other hand, you know, just like learning a couple things, you know, piecing them together. What I found was, um, you, there's a cadence to language. And even if you memorize things like as an entire sentence and then you get to use it, what happens is your brain naturally will, will, will pick up on the patterns. So I find there's two ways to learn, right? There's one way, the programmable way where you, 
each thing you figure out all the rules and you try to memorize those rules and then try to regurgitate and it makes for a very uh difficult conversation and and uh, hard for, you know to to really speak because you're trying to focus too much on the rules rather than you know you you can actually memorize some sentences and then you actually figure out as you add more sentences you actually start figuring out like your brain naturally pattern recognizes and figures out like oh this is talking about me this is the subject or and this this thing right now is a noun and you you don't you don't might not know that but you actually do know it and you like that's for me how how tie really happens it's like i learned a bunch of sentences and i kept on using them and then you start to use them in different variations and every time you add it it's like you don't add one word one word adds like hundreds of sentences to your vocabulary because now you know how to use it in multiple different ways so what a cool engineering like logical approach to uh to language you got a great mind my friend 那他们在他出生之前就搬去美国波士顿住了，但他每个暑假都会回来台湾，大概花一到两个月的时间跟爷爷奶奶相处。那他爱上了台湾的食物，但是非常不喜欢夏天的天气。那当时第一份正式的工
the iceberg analogy. Chris, you're a legend. Thank you for coming in and joining us on the NG English Show. Chris 会给年轻自己的建议就是不要害怕失败，因为他花了很久的时间才搞清楚失败也是过程中的一环，而且也不要把失败当做一切的结束。因为他认为，其实，在亚洲社会中蛮流行 prevalent 把失败隐藏起来，什么东西都要被美化 airbrushed， 有点像是大家在 IG 上看到都是光鲜亮丽，但是实际上是不是这样很难说。那虽然说他不知道年轻的自己会不会听取这个建议，但这就是他想说的。那我们就谢谢今天的来宾 Chris。Where can people find more about you online? I feel like you might have some new fans. Yeah, so a live front you can be found at、uh, on our YouTube channel. Just search live front,、um, and as well as、uh, the Facebook page.、Um, and for myself, I, I have a LinkedIn. I don't really use other socials, so uh, it's uh, LinkedIn.com/slash/in/slash/Christopher-Peng-P-E-N-G. Thanks for joining us, my man. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. Peace. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on the NG English Show. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.